Welcome to the Odestiny Podcast. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you from personal experience and the Bible, which is probably how everything should be done, isn't it? So the Bible is full of really good stuff that you're going to feast on today, the, the word, the truth. Um, but to help you feast, I think it's good to understand a little bit about personal experience, isn't it? So Irvin made me dress like this. I normally hang the dress up and talk about it. But Irvin said, I really think you should wear that. I really think you should wear that. I really think you should wear that dress. And in the end, it was just easier to give in and wear it than it was to... Absolutely. I'm not an immovable object, so that's fine. Um, So 25 years ago this year, I put this dress on, walked down the aisle. Actually, I walked down the wrong aisle of the church because I was so nervous, went down the wrong aisle, and, um, and said, I will to the best man in the world. And we've had some very interesting times ever since. We're still together, and we're very, very happy at the moment. Very happy. <laughs> in case you're listening, Phil, I'm very happy. And we have three amazing children. They are amazing. And I love to talk about them. I could talk to you all day about my children because I think they are the most handsome or beautiful, the most talented. They are the most funny. They, oh gosh, I could just tell you stories about them. I could stand here all day long and you'd be bored because you don't know them. But I can do that because they are mine and I gave birth to them. I remember the pregnancies, I remember the, the feeling of going into labour and the excitement about meeting them for the first time. I remember the traumas of the early years and the difficult times. I remember the, I remember the looks I've seen them give me. I remember the... And the oh gosh, actually, those are the most precious things. It's not the, it's not the presence, it's not the gifts, it's, not, it's the way they look at you. Is incredible. But you see, they're mine. So they, they do something in here to me, my kids. 22 years I've been a mum. And for 22 years my heart has been singing over my children. And it gives me such an insight into the heart of God. And into the heart of the Trinity. Because guess who they're singing over today? They're singing over you, Rose. They're singing over you. They're singing songs of joy. Because one look from your eyes, Valentin, melts their heart. One look. One glance. One look across a crowded room. And they are melted. Melted. And that's just, you know, that's just an amazing thing that we do to the Trinity. It's so wonderful. And that's truth. And that's what I want you to feast on today. I want you to feast on the unbelievable goodness that you are. I want you to feast on the joy that you bring I want you to feast on the romance in the heart of God that looked at you and created you. I want you to look into daddy's eyes today. I want you to see his eyes for you. I want you to hear his song for you. Because that's the way to live. That's the way to really live, to listen and to hear that song and to look into those eyes. That's the, that's the way to grow. That's the way to live. That's the way to respond to the love of the Father. It's to, oh, that's for me. Drink it in, drink it in. Now, I have some, I have some little uh, lies that try and penetrate my 
defences. And I'll just tell you a couple of them that happened this week because they're so recent, so I can remember them. Um, and they, they probably make you laugh. And actually laughing is the best thing to do with lies. I was saying, we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we, Rose? That lies are pathetic and need to be laughed at. But they feel real, don't they? Yesterday morning, I'd just woken up and in my groggy state, I put my tablet on, I sat up in bed and I put my tablet on. And it decided it needed to update, so it shut down. And I was faced for the first time with a view of my face reflected in the tablet screen. And I sat up in bed and I thought, oh boy, you are ugly in the mornings. Now, is that actually true? Is it really true? That was one of the first thoughts I had, the first conscious thoughts I had yesterday. This morning I woke up, and one of the first conscious thoughts I had this morning was, gosh, you put on a lot of weight since last year. And you know the next word that came into my head? The word grotesque. Now, is that true? If you... I mean, I know I'm not like... I'm not ever going to be on the cover of a magazine. I'm not talking about that kind of beauty. But, I, but it's not true, is it? I am not grotesque. But the first thing that comes into my head is like, woof, grotesque. Now, if I'd feasted on that word... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, it's all right. Are you, we're, um, incredibly ugly. Um, if I feasted on that word... If I started to chew on it, if I started to meditate on it, if I started to give it some attention and some time, by the time I got out of bed, by the time I left to come here, I would have taken a big nosedive and my whole day would have been ruined because I, w I would have been looking at my failings. I would have been looking at what's wrong with me. The way to live is to look at what is right. And the person to listen to is the Holy Spirit because he always comforts and he always tells us the truth. So if you, as you are experiencing these I destiny months, pay attention to your thoughts first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Get hold of them. If you hear a word that you think, gosh, it's a bit outrageous, get hold of it and have a look at it. Can that be true about me? Now, I know that it's not true, and I'll tell you, tell you how I know. Because I've started to believe the words, the positive words that God says over me, more than the negative. And I've started to tune in to the positive and the affirming words that he speaks over me. The other night I had, well, it was a morning, so I woke up and I, I was straight out of the dream and it was daytime. And in the dream, it was a bit like Harry Potter. Kind of, it wasn't real. It was a little bit like that, a fantasy. And there was a little dog sat next to me, a little white dog with cartoon eyes. They were sort of very big oval eyes and he had a very long snout. And he was looking at me like this and he was saying to me, do you know who I am? And he was trying to scare me. And in my dream, I looked at him and I said, well, do you know who I am? <laughs> so he tried again and he stretched up a little bit taller. I mean, he was only the size of a Jack Russell. He wasn't big. Yes, but don't you know who I am, he said. Don't you know who I am? And I said, yes, but don't you know who I am? And I woke up and I thought, oh, gosh, that's my subconscious. And it's really getting it. <laughs> Don't you know who I am? How dare you, little dog, try and intimidate me with your big eyes. I know who I am, actually. I'm getting there. I have a new identity. When I got married in this <laughs> dress, I changed my name. You changed your name, didn't you, when you got married? You know, it's a lovely experience to ditch the old name, which I hated, and to take on the new one. And we made, a, we made a family with this name, and I belong to a new family. I mean, I still belong to my old one, and I love them very much. But I'm glad I got rid of that name. 
because I never liked it. It was always an embarrassment to me. So the new name, the new family, the new identity, the old doesn't exist anymore. If you look under this dress, you're only going to see layers of white. You're only going to see more and more layers of righteousness under here. There's no rotten core living in here. But I believed that. For nearly 40 years, I believed I had a rotten core. Like an apple that's been left out, that starts to disintegrate and smell bad and rot. That's what I believed was at the centre of me. And that God, in his kindness, had got hold of me And he'd coated me in something good. But underneath, he always knew there was the rotten core. Underneath, he always knew there was a nasty smell. But in his kindness and his love, he'd coated me in something good. But guess what? That old thing it would try and re emerge, it would pop out, it would. Oh, that's what I thought. When I misbehaved, when I messed up, when I was unkind, I thought, oh, it's that rotten core. It's the rottenness inside of me. It's the badness inside of me. It's, the, it's that old man that the Bible talks about. Because I'd not understood. I hadn't got hold of the whole truth. I got a little bit of what we call mixture which is some of the good news. Oh, yes, it's some of the good news, but it's also, oh, you've still got all this going on. And I believed for, for 40, yeah, probably 40 years. In fact, I had a massive revelation with the, uh, the bag and the chain on a weekend away. And I wasn't 40 then. Laura was a baby, so I was early 30s. And we went on a weekend away, and Sue did this illustration with the bin bag and she put somebody in a bin bag and she coiled them round with chains. And they did the illustration, you know, Jesus took the human to the father. That's why I said, don't put me back in the bag. (laughs) She took the, you know, they took the, the person to the father and he took off the bag and he took off the chains and my heart went, oh, wow, oh, (laughs) you did it. You took it all away. You didn't cover it up with something nice. They didn't put the robe of righteousness over the top of the bag. I'm not holding on to my ball and chain under this dress. It was annihilated on the cross. My old nature died on the cross. It is no more. Have you seen Monty Python's dead parrot sketch? You need to watch that, because I don't think there's anything really rude in it. Dead Parrot, Monty Python. Can I recommend it that they watch? The Dead Parrot sketch by Monty Python. There might be one word in it that might be a little bit dodgy. Well, the Germans won't mind, because there's only a little bit of There's no beer drinking to offend the Americans, so we should be all right. So, <laughs> but they, in, that, in that little sketch, they... They have a, you know, they have this parrot and they have a hundred words for, it is dead. You know, go and watch it and it'll make you laugh. And think about your old man that you think you have to keep bashing over their head because it won't seem to die. It's dead. It has shuffled off this mortal coil. But it's true. And we don't have to battle with that thing anymore. We don't carry a corpse around with us. We don't have to battle with it. Are you getting it? You might, it might take you a few months to get this, but please get it. You are not dragging a smelly corpse behind you in your wake. You're not trying to stuff it up your robe of righteousness to cover it up. It is dead. It is forever dead. Don't try and resurrect it. Don't try and put a plaster on it. Don't cover it in bandages and make it look like it's still alive. 
forget about it. You have a new nature. And when you're tuning in and living in the life of the new nature, the lies start to become a little bit more obvious. And they start to look a little bit more ridiculous. And you can say, ah, ha, 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 ha. That's my outdoor laugh. Ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm not ugly. I'm not grotesque. Jesus says, I'm beautiful. And he's not looking at my body, thankfully. He's not looking at my heart. He's looking at my spirit, which is united to Christ. And he has married me. He has taken me on as his. Why would he join his spirit to an old, rotten corpse? He wouldn't, would he? He has joined himself to the new me, to the new you. You are united to the beautiful, impeccable, adorable, darling of heaven, Christ himself. He loves you. He embraces you. He takes you into himself. You are skin to skin with Jesus. If that's possible in the spirit. But imagine it. Imagine, the, imagine trying to live a life that was separate from that beauty. That's where our struggles are. Because we try and live a life that's separate. When we're not separate... Would you want to go back to living like single people? Would you want a single bed again? No. Would you want to start having to think just like, oh, there's just me. There's just me. I wouldn't. I love being married. I love the we-ness of it. I love that who else can we bring in here? Would you like to be part of our family? I love the when the children were little. And then all their friends came round and you'd have a load of shoes lined up in the hall. That's what the Trinity's like. They have shoes lined up in the hall. They have sticky finger marks on all their furniture. They have paintings on the fridge that you've done. <laughs> Imagine that. When God the Father opens his wallet, what's it full of? Photographs of you. Where his money used to be. That's not, that's not my joke. That's not my joke. That's a sign of a true father. But that's the truth. And you're going to hear it from everybody this, this term. You're going to hear it from Sharon. You're going to hear it from Irvin and Sue again. You're going to hear it from Andy. You're going to hear it from Timo. You're going to hear it from Paula and Ben. And whoever else comes and talks to you. You're going to hear their experience. You're going to hear their relationship with the Trinity. You're going to hear about how Maggie dances. and It's just gorgeous. And it's so exciting. And you're going to get it. And you might think you've got it, but boy, is there more to get. It's going to blow your minds. It's the best news. So I want to talk to you about living on the right side of the cross. And I think I have started talking about that, really. That would be really kind, actually, Sue. And also, you, then you can do the spelling, which is... There isn't anything. Yeah, you can do that. Well, that feels funny. I don't know. It's like a bolt <coughs> through my neck. <laughs> Sue's Sorry, always how, how does that watching feel? her. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. Thank you. So, do you want you to look like that penguin from Happy Feet? Do you remember the, the little penguin that comes with the little? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, do you still want me to do that, or? Uh, yeah, I'll do you that. You can do. Then okay, then I can talk and you can write. There was a program on the TV the other night, and I don't recommend you watching it because it really is full of swearing, and it's called Gogglebox. But I love it because you get to see 
other people watching television and you get to see their reactions and it's quite fascinating. And there's a vicar on there and she's a lady and she's into, she likes teapots, which I like. And she always has a different cosy on the teapot in every scene. So I'm, I, like, I like watching her. She makes me laugh as well. And they, um, they showed a film from America and they showed these uh, young people who joined the, the KKK and they were um, setting fire to a cross outside in a field. And she nearly leapt off the sofa. She was so outraged. And she said, the cross is the ultimate symbol of love. And I went, yes, come on, you tell the nation. And that's what I want to say today. You could write it in the middle, Sue. It's the ultimate symbol of love. This is our love story. This is our, well, it's a divine romance. I'm sorry, man. But it really is. And it's the one romance in your lives where you don't have to make the running. None of us do. We don't have to capture the heart of God by, you know, doing all those things you do when you're falling in love. He's already caught. <laughs> he already has us in his heart. Okay, so I want to talk about the Old Covenant. So everything going over here is like Old Covenant. Now, when, when I became a Christian in the 1970s, we had what, what I called before mixture. So we had a little bit of the old and a little bit of the new, all sort of put together in a nice package. And we call that Christianity. And then more recently, we've discovered grace. And we've realized how to interpret the Bible so that you can decide where... When Jesus was talking, he was talking to law-based, law-understanding, religious people. And then when he was talking to people that weren't under the law, he talked in a completely different way. So it, it helps to understand which side of the cross we're talking about. And you might find yourself thinking, well, I thought that on the old side. should I, I'm still living there. So it might just help with a visual way to understand. Okay, so we thought we were cursed by God because we'd already, we'd read, we read Genesis, didn't we? And we read about Adam and Eve, you know, God sent them out of the garden and he cursed them. And something in me still believed, you know, that I wasn't, not really loved. And we were eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which Irvin talked about yesterday. So we were eating from, well, that's right and that's wrong. And that reaps a whole harvest of judgment. Because as soon as we start deciding what's right and what's wrong, we come under judgment too. Because if I'm going to criticise you for what you're doing, you're going to criticise me for what I'm doing. And it's a dark place to live, isn't it? We had a very guilty conscience. I, gosh, I had a terribly guilty conscience. And my memory is very good. So I would remember things that I'd done when I was a child and still feel bad about it 30 years later. We lived in shame. Sue talked about that. And you could see little Simba living in that place of shame. And it's quite heartbreaking, isn't it, to see somebody living in that place. And we had condemnation. Kind of, you wrap yourself in shame... You wear it like a very dark cloak. And then condemnation is the weight that you put on your head to press you down. We were distanced from God and living in separation from him. Because the old covenant talks about what we have to do to fulfill our part in the law. What we have to do to draw near to God. It was all about performance. It was all about self-effort. And the, the thoughts that come with those things are, have I done enough? You know, somebody said about reading your Bible. Have I read my Bible enough? Well, what's enough? 
You know, I, I know people, my dad included, I mean, he loved his Bible. And he would get up at the crack of dawn, do his exercises and read his Bible. That was, that was what he did all his, all his Christian life. But I couldn't do that. I tried and tried. I tried everything I could. And I just could not do it. So to me, I never reached standard. Am I enough? We ask ourselves that out of that performance thing. Am I actually enough? And that, that goes back to that thing of, it's one of those um, I am statements. I am ugly. I am not enough. I am rotten in the core. I am, you know, it's one of those. You can never, you can't sort of pull yourself out of that, am I enough? You need a revelation if you're believing that one. We believed that we had a broken relationship with an angry, demanding God. You don't have to write all these down because it's quite a lot. So, so that breeds rejection, restlessness, anxiety. Fear. Fear is an enormous liar. Hopelessness. I mean, if you believe I am I enough, it that produces hopelessness because you think, well, if I'm not, I'm never going to be good enough, am I? I'm never going to be enough, and it just pushes you down even further. So then you don't want to do anything, and it. You get into a repeated cycle of, I try to please God. I try my best and I fail. So I try harder and I fail again. And we go round and round on that treadmill. If only I could pray enough. If only I could give enough. If only I could be enough. We go round and round and round with our heads down, looking at ourselves if we had our eyes open and we had our heads down looking at ourselves, what would we see? <laughs> but we don't, do we? Because we're listening to that naughty little voice. We believed that we should live in poverty and lack. I hate, I hate saying that, but actually there is a mentality, isn't there, that says... You know, God keeps you poor to keep you humble. But when you go outside today, just look at the beauty of the trees around you and look at, the, look at nature on your way home. Is God poor? Sickness and depression. I've had a load of battles with depression. Loads. Some worse than others. And it's horrible. It really is. It's horrible. But my battles now can begin and end, like I was saying to you before, about I wake up in the morning, somebody tells me I'm grotesque, and I say, don't you know who I am? And it can... That could have led to like a week of pain. Now it leads to me going, if I'm, you know, if I've got my head right in the right place, if I'm awake enough, hold on a minute. You know, I'm not having that one. So we were a slave to sin. And we believed we were orphans. And really all of that comes out of that orphan mentality. And Andy said something very wise a couple of weeks ago. He said, you can't cast out an orphan spirit. The, the way to get rid of an orphan spirit is to be loved and to receive love. And that's what will happen this 
our destiny. You will receive so much love that any, any tiny little remnant of orphanness in your thinking will be loved away. Sorry, a tiny little bit that's left. Just a little bit. So that's the bad news there, right there. There it is. Now, fortunately for us, Jesus came and paid with his blood, with his life, with his love on that cross. So we don't have to live like that. The, the Jews spent all their time trying to fulfill the law, making amends by sacrificing animals, which covered their sins for the next year. And then they spent all the next year sinning and feeling bad. And they'd get to the end of the next year and go and do the sacrifices. And, you know, that was their pattern. And as Christians, we're not supposed to have that pattern because the sacrifice is being paid and made. The ultimate sacrifice has been made. We don't have to live in that repetitive, oh God, I've messed up again, I'm really sorry, I won't do it again, oh God, I've done it again. We don't have to live there anymore. So here's the new covenant now, which tree are we eating from now? of life. I think the cross is the I think the cross is the tree of life. I don't know whether that's true. I was thinking about it in the night one night recently. Just wondering whether the cross is like a symbol. I know it's a symbol of death, but whether it's the start of. You know Irvin was talking about the lamb being slain from the foundation of the world. That's where the life comes from. It comes from the cross. And the the tree of life, when we start to eat from the tree of life, we start to see ourselves as we truly are. We see ourselves as God sees us. Now, I'm not talking about what you see in the mirror when you look at your face in the morning. Because you still might have to battle with those feelings about yourself, your your physical being. I'm talking about how he sees your eternal spirit. I'm talking about the, the truth when he looks at us, what's going on. So we are righteous. I love the verse. I don't know probably written it down somewhere. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I stand in the shower and I say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And then I start thinking about I'm in him. What does that look like? It means I look like this, doesn't it? I'm in him. I'm wearing those robes of righteousness. So you can do those kind of things to help you think along the lines that the Father thinks. I am holy. When I think about holiness, I think about gold being poured inside me. I think about a cup, a metal cup that has gold poured into it and it coats all the inner parts with pure gold. And that's what the word holy means to me when I think about holy. It's not about what I'm doing, And righteousness isn't about what I'm doing. It's not a doing word. I'm not very good at this. It's a, it's a, I am word. What's, what's the correct term for that? (laughs) I've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And it's taking my brain a while to catch up. That's why I have these little battles. But my spirit... My, the real me has been washed clean. It's being continually washed clean. Because where do we live? Where did we say we lived? In the river. So if you're in the river, 
you're being continually washed. You don't get out and get back in. You don't dry off and have a run round and get muddy again and get back in. You're clean all the time. I am innocent. <laughs> and for somebody who believed they had a rotten core from the very beginning, innocent is a very, very pleasing word. Because God looks at me and he... You know those little cheeks that a baby has? You know that little the look of them when they're first sort of born? They look so sweet, don't they? They look like... They could, ne- they could never be imperfect, could they? There's such perfection in a new baby. And that's how God sees you. He sees you perfect. He sees you with your little cheeks and your sparkly eyes. He sees innocence. He doesn't see. He doesn't go, oh gosh, well if she just sorted her sense of humour out, wasn't so sarcastic, then I'd quite like her. Or, you know, he doesn't find fault. He looks into your eyes and sees innocent beauty. It's as if we've never sinned. My gosh, it's as if you've never sinned. We've been reconciled to God. I love reconciliation. I love bringing people together. He's done it. We didn't have to do that reconciling. We didn't have to make the sacrifice. Like Timo said before when we were worshipping, the only thing, the only response when you're being assimilated is to let yourself be embraced. Let yourself be reconciled to God. It's his job. We live in effortless intimacy. In the modern age of the internet, we live in effortless intimacy with each other, don't we? I can send you a message on Facebook. I could send you an email. I could text you. I could phone you. I could Skype you. I could FaceTime you if I had an iDevice. I could come round to your house. I could drink tea with you. We could fly off on a plane to the side of the world together. It's effortless intimacy. When I first um, left home, when I was 18, there was nothing effortless about intimacy. It, was, it involved standing in the nurse's home and standing in this little cubicle that had a public telephone and putting my money in, waiting to be connected to the other, to the other person. Oh, no, but they'd gone out. So I spoke to their landlady who was saying, oh, no, no, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, but he's not here. So that was all my money wasted talking to the landlady. But we had to write letters. I have a stack of letters. I wrote a stack of letters. I'm not sure I want to reread those. I think they're in the loft. It wasn't effortless. It cost something. If I wanted to see my beloved, I had to get a train, a bus, another train. It was hard work. We don't live in hard work. We live in effortless intimacy now. We have FaceTime. We have more than FaceTime. We have skin-to-skin contact with the Trinity. There's no in and out because it's always around that intimacy, that atmosphere of love is around us all the time. There's no longing anymore. There's none of that, oh God, if you'd only draw near to me. I'm not singing those songs anymore. I'm not singing sad songs anymore. I'm singing, you know, You've taken the shackles off my feet, now I can dance. I'm singing stupid songs in the kitchen. Silly songs. I'm making stuff up. I'm singing pop songs to Jesus. Then I saw your face. Now I'm a believer. He loves that. We're sons and daughters. Princes and princesses. All you Disney lovers will like that one. 
There are no grandchildren in heaven, by the way. There's no distant relationship. There's no great uncle of, you know, your second cousin. Once removed is who Jesus is to you. He is your brother, your beloved. Father God is your daddy. just love looking at this list. It makes me so happy. I am home. I remember being very homesick at the age of 18. I cried a lot. I was only, I was only at the other side of Manchester. <laughs> I cried a lot. But I'm at home in the beloved. At rest, at home. Where I go, he goes. In fact, he's already there before I get there. And he's right behind me. And he's in me. So why is it not home? Wherever you are, you've crossed oceans and things to get here, haven't you? But you're at home. You really are. We rest in green pastures. We rest. We lie down. He makes us lie down. He has to make me lie down sometimes because I'm too busy fighting. <laughs> Get off. I've got things to do. Lie there. Inside, I don't mean I don't do anything. There's lots to do, but I do it out of rest. Things happen to me now more than I make happen because I'm resting about it in my head. I'm not anxiously working out how to make my business flourish or how to sort everybody's problems out. I have a think about them and I talk to Jesus about them, but there's a rest inside about, about I'm a strategist. Can't really help that. But my strategies are now our strategies. They're not me trying to sort it. They are asking for wisdom. They're a joint effort. They're a marriage strategy kind of thing, a family idea rather than a, I need to sort this out. We have peace with God. There is no man with a big stick waiting to hit you if you don't do enough, try hard enough. We have peace with him because we are in union with him. We have um, an old car in our garage at home, um, and it's in bits. So there's, the body shell is in the middle of the room, and then on the wall are parts of it hanging up, and then there's boxes with other parts of it in. And the cat used to sleep in it, and um, it's, got, it's had things put on it because it's more like a storage thing now. So it's got boxes of things on it and um, it doesn't look like a car anymore. It looks like a mess. But I know that it's a car and one day there's a plan for its restoration. And that's how Father saw us at one time. You know, not... He saw the design, but not like we see it. We see the bits. Well, how is this going to work? He sees the restored design. He sees the picture finished, where we only see. We see breaks or disconnected bits. We see things that we want sorting out, want making new. We don't think we're, we're ever there yet. He sees us there, finished, complete. Not with glued-on pieces, not like some kind of Frankenstein thing, cobbled together, made up out of parts, restored and whole. That's how we are now. Our spirits are whole, they are restored. We are accepted, we are beloved, we are chosen, loved, we are as loved as Jesus is.
You could spend an afternoon thinking about that. That you're as loved as Jesus is. That God's twinkle in his eye when he looks at Jesus is the same when he looks at you. That little flash in his eye, he goes, that's my boy. That's my boy. I made him. It's very strange, but he thinks you're his favourite. But you are. And you are. And, and you and me. He has so many favourite children. Like any parent, you can't choose because they're all just incredibly amazing. We have a calmness inside us because he has everything under control. So when the oceans rage and the thunders roar inside, we can speak to that and say, you need to, you need to settle down. Peace needs to come because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm part of the Trinity and all the things that, all these things over here, if they start to pop up, we have authority to say, you don't belong to me anymore. You're part of that old corpse. In fact, you know, when I had that thing, waking up and thinking about being grotesque and ugly, I think that's the devil talking about himself. Ooh. <laughs> It's Wednesday. <laughs> so we have his we have God's authority. Don't you know who I am? Fear. Don't you know who I am? Poverty. Don't you know I don't live in that system of the world? because I live in the kingdom. We have divine health. We have favour. Just tell you a little story about favour. I have two boys. Um, the eldest one didn't want to go to university when he left college. He'd had enough of studying, just really didn't want to do any more. And he ended up getting a job. First of all, it was part-time, temporary. Then it became full-time. Then it became permanent full-time. And then the people that he worked for decided that they wanted him to go to university because they want him to progress. So they said, would you like to go to university? And he said, um, yeah, okay. So they said, well, we'd like to pay your fees for university. £27,000. And we, and we need you to work for us for two years afterwards because then we'll feel like we've had our money's worth. So he has, in a time of depression and hard times in the world, he has a guaranteed place. He just walked into the course he wanted to do, not the course work wanted him to do. He wanted to go to a certain university, do a certain course. He got on the course. The money's there. And the work is there afterwards. That's favour, isn't it? That's outrageous grace. I mean, wow. And that's a nice story for Ollie. You know, Ollie can tell you that story and you can go, oh, that's great. But you know, his story of favour is just his story. You have, you'll have one. You'll, you'll all have a story. You'll all have loads of stories. When you start believing, or, be, you know, maybe you do believe this, I don't know. But when you start living out of this side, when you start living out of the fountain of life, out of the river that doesn't stop, rather than the pieces, there's a pie and there's only enough pie for six people. So if we want to feed 12, we'll have to cut it all up and you only get a little bit. No, it's a river. And... If Ollie can have provision, then so can you. You know, if it's good enough for one child of God, it's good enough for everybody. And your stories will just be your testimonies. They'll be the way you overcome. The word of your testimony, as well as the blood of the Lamb, 
will be what you're singing to you, Father God. Look what you did for me, Daddy. We have unconditional and unbreakable promises from the Father. There's no more, if you do that for me, then I'll do that for you. There's so much in the Old Testament about if. If you will obey my commandments, then I will bless you. If you will do this, then I will do. Jesus did all. He obeyed every commandment. He fulfilled the requirement of the law. Every single part of the law, Jesus fulfilled. All of it. He didn't. He didn't say, this is rubbish. What a stupid idea this was. He fulfilled it in perfection in every part. And we now live in him. We don't have to try and make a bargain with God. Well, if I'm good enough, will you do that for me? And we don't hear God saying, if you're good enough, I'll do I'm sure Ollie doesn't think he was good enough to be favoured like that. I'm sure he doesn't. We are blessed beyond measure because Jesus fulfilled the law and he took all, all of our unrighteousness on him. He overpaid with his blood for every single thing, every but God. But God, oh, but God, oh, but God, that time. He paid for every single one of those things. So we have his unconditional acceptance. There's no, it's, don't worry, Sue. No, no, I've got to put it down, I can't not. <laughs> we now are living in the spirit in all of his power and authority. And we are slaves to righteousness. That's a nice thought. Much more pleasant to be a slave to righteousness than it was to be a slave to sin. If you think about it, a slave has to obey its master, doesn't it? Well, if your master is righteousness, it's a pleasure, isn't it? It's a pleasure to live covered in your robes. To rustle, I rustle wherever I go. It's a pleasure, isn't it, to be a slave to that kind of thing? We've been adopted. So all the orphanness has to go. Sue and Irvin have adopted two gorgeous boys. They chose them, didn't you? Mm -hmm. I didn't get to choose mine. They just happened. (laughs) They just kind of came out as they were. And that was that. But you chose yours. And you went through a lot to get them. Yeah. And your wallet is full of pictures of of your boys, where your money used to be too. But you see, they didn't do anything to deserve that adoption, did they? My kids didn't do anything to deserve being born and being loved like they are. It all happens out of the heart of the father. We're living out of this abundant life, abundant grace. With All we have to do is enjoy it. Revel in it. Lie down in the snow and make snow angels in it. Hmm. <laughs> I could go on, I've got so much more written down here, but it's fine. Because you'll discover for yourself what your things are when you you decide, I really am going to live out of this now. And there's so much healing in living in the truth. There is. God can change the way you look at yourself. He can change the way other people see you when you start living in the truth. You're going to get even more beautiful than you are now. That truth will produce that beauty in you, that radiance in you. 
So just to finish off this little bit, I talked to you about the Bible, didn't I, before, and said there were some lovely things in it. I really like the message, and I really like the Passion as well. So if you haven't seen the, the Passion translation, there's some really good stuff in the Passion. And I think I'll just read these, and you can, you can absorb them. My old life was crucified with Christ. So on that cross there is Jesus, and my life was crucified with him. I no longer live. I was fully united with him in his death. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine. For Christ lives his life through me. So if any of you were just thinking, oh, right, well, I better try really hard to uh, be beautiful or uh, to stay reconciled to God, I better work really hard at being the beloved. The essence of this new life is no longer mine. It's not my responsibility. Christ lives his life through me. It's a bit like having a blood transfusion. My real life is Christ. We live as one. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God. That's where the power comes from. Not my feeble attempts, but his faith who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. You know, like I was saying about the gold, the holy, and the gold being poured inside me. That's how I see it. He dispenses, I like that word, he dispenses his life into mine. That's Galatians 2.20. Yet Christ, our anointed substitute, paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely as he became a curse in our place. That's Galatians 3.13. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. Ephesians 2.5. Those are all in the Passion. And then this is from the message. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life, all of that there, was nailed to the cross with Christ. A decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. We are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That's Romans 6 verse 6 in the message. And I love this one. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. John Crowder says this lovely quote. Sin is a shoe for a leg I no longer have. Just think about that. If you don't have the leg, get rid of the shoe. Life is not work. This oh, this is Phil Drysdale. <laughs> Lovely Phil Drysdale. I think he wrote this a long time before he became part of our church. Because I still quote him, and sometimes he's actually sitting in the room when I th- say it. Life is not about working on our actions. So it's not about working at this stuff here. It's about working on our beliefs. It's a journey of throwing out the old things we have embraced as truth from the enemy, from friends, family, and more than the above combined, ourselves. Actually, nobody ever told me I, was, I had a rotten core. Nobody ever said that to me. I have very loving parents, incredibly loving parents, and a very loving church family. I didn't have a bad upbringing. Where did it come from? I don't know. But I believed it about me. 
and I need to get rid of. Everything that I, am, I embraced as part of that. Not only that, we must embrace a new set of beliefs as truth. Otherwise, we'd just be left with an empty head. You don't have to throw away your brain to embrace this new life. We must embrace what God has to say about us, our circumstances and our relationships, especially the one we have with him. It's what he says that counts. It's what he's singing over you that counts. And it's all good. I'll just let you into that secret. It's all good. Okay. That's it for now. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.